Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and I'm super excited for you to dive into this episode. Before we get into the episode, I want to address something because I get a ton of questions asking me what are the best training plans to follow or suggestions on having a coach, right? Um, and this is something that has come up a lot, especially um, you know after my 10th place male finish at Havelina 100, um, given that I've only you know been running for about four years. A lot of people have been asking like, hey, like, what do you suggest for training plans or a coach? Um, my answer always comes from what's worse best for me as well as others who I've chatted with in the industry. And so I'm sharing my perspective from that regards. And for me, um, I've been working with Zach Bitter for almost a year now. And he's helped me go from, again, starting out ultra running just a few years ago to placing top 10 at one of the most competitive 100 milers in the world at Havelina 100. Um, plus, Zach has held world records for fast is 100 mile time and most miles completed in 12 hours so when it comes to suggestions I always recommend Zach as he is one of the best of the best my suggestion if you are looking for a training plan or working with a coach is to check out Zach Bitter's pre-made training plans or his personalized training plans which comes with personalized coaching for your own goals whether you just want to finish your next ultra hit a PR or reach the podium Zach has made pre-made training plans based on specific races distances and your own running experience that will give you the day-by-day workouts and running regimen you need to hit your goals and if you want more personalized plans he offers those as well with email support and the option to add on consultation calls with him if you want to have more personalized support. So to check out Zach's coaching, feel free to head out to the URL um, in my uh, in the show notes there, um, or if you want to just type it in, it's zachbitter.com slash coaching, um, or you can go again to the link in the bio to check that out. Again, he's got pre-made plans, which are amazing for all different types of distances and experience levels, um, and he also has personalized one-on-one coaching as well. Um, I highly recommend Zach's coaching for your next ultra and uh, definitely work with him as he's helped me a ton and I know he can help you a ton as well. So I just wanted to address that here because I know I've been getting a ton of questions um, outside of Havelina 100 on, um, you know, recommendations for um, running plans or coaches and uh, Zach is my go-to man for that. So definitely show Zach some love if you're looking for a coach or a training plan and uh, visit that link in the bio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super pumped to bring you this episode here. So uh, I actually first uh, came across uh, this runner and our guest today at the Hangover 50K uh, last year in September, I want to say. Was it September? Yeah, September. And uh, I remember, you know, right in the beginning, I think you and I were both like running like neck and neck. And in my head, I was like, 
I was like, who is, who is this girl? Like, she's like super fast. Like she's like totally crushing it. And then at the end, when I saw the results, I saw like you, you just like dominated out there, came in first by a while, broke the women's course record. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, like she can race. And as I was looking into like your ultra sign up a little bit more, I saw, you know, you've had top three finishes at some pretty stacked races, came close to golden tickets very, very enough times. And you're always at the top and you're also on the era Viper racing team. And so super stoked to have her on the podcast today. Cause you know, we've been kind of going back and forth, saw, saw her at Havelina. And so I think she's just got an awesome mindset to running. Um, if you ever want to like, just get super pumped up, listen to her interview, uh, that she did with Scott Trayer on chase and gold going to Havelina. I think it's super, super cool. Um, but right now we're interviewing you here. So uh, we're going to dive into all those things with none other than Brianna Grigsby. Brianna, thanks so much for coming on the Everyday Ultra podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's fun to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And who knew, like when we were like racing, like right at the front that we'd be here on the podcast chatting together. And uh, yeah, I've just been like super impressed, like the more that I dive into your running and and just how talented and, and motivated you are. So I think it's going to be a super, super fun conversation. And I love to dive into all the things like your, your chase to golden tickets, like uh, plant-based diet, which you follow, which I'm super interested about and what you're passionate about. And uh, but before we get into all that, how did Brianna get into this crazy sport of ultra running and what's your background into the sport? Um, well, interestingly, I kind of got into trail running from more of a hiking background. Um, I never ran like track or cross country growing up. Um, but when I moved to Arizona, when I was 21, um, suddenly this was the first time in my life I had lived anywhere with mountains and I was just amazed by the mountains. Uh, and I got invited to this hiking group. Uh, and the leader of this group was like really serious about hiking. Um, she prefaced our hikes with like, okay, guys, this is a workout. And you better know the route because we don't wait around for anybody. We're going fast. She'd be hiking like 15 minute miles up really steep grades, you know, and so that's kind of how I got introduced to hiking. And um, eventually I realized, man, you know, I could go like a lot further and I could see a lot more stuff if I would go faster. So I kind of started like hiking the uphills and running the downhills. And eventually that progressed to just like running the entire route <laughs> as I became more fit. Uh and then in 2016, I just kind of on a whim signed up for Aravipa, the Mesquite Canyon 30K. Mm. And I had never run like over a half marathon distance in my life. And I had done, I think, maybe two half marathons at that point, both on the road. Oh, wow. Uh, so I just signed up for this 30K. I was super intimidated because 18 miles sounded like forever. Um and I remember just, you know, starting out and thinking, all right, we got to just be conservative here. The, the, the goal is only just to finish. And back then I didn't have like the fancy GPS watch or anything like that. And the course wasn't marked, you know, with the mileage. So I had no idea how far into the course I was. And I remember thinking to myself, I must be like maybe around 10 miles in. And then I looked up and I saw the finish line and I was like, wait a minute, there is like no way that I've just run 18 miles. It was crazy. Uh, but it was such like a euphoric experience that I was immediately hooked. Um, 
So the first thing I did after that race was sign up for another one. Um, I signed up for uh, the Big Pine, I think whatever, like the night version of that race, which was a, a 25K. And then about a week before the race, um, I was I realized that there was a daytime race that was, and they had a 50, I think that one's a 54K. Uh, so a week before the race, I just, bumped myself up to the 54k um and i remember my mom being like you haven't even run a marathon don't you think you should run a marathon before you run an ultra marathon and i was like no no big deal you know <laughs> so that was my first ultra and that was in june of 2016 and yeah i was just completely hooked on it um that was also the first year of, or right, right around the time I was beginning my family medicine residency. So my time was super limited, especially in my first year of residency, because I was working like 80 hours a week. Whoa. Um, so a lot of weeks, my, my training consisted of my long run on my day off. And that might be my only run in the week. Wow. Um, but I was still racing ultras just, you know, under trained, but, uh, yeah. I progressed uh, after my first year of residency, I signed up or right at the end of my first year of residency, signed up for my first 50 miler. And then, you know, I was just hooked on increasing the distances and trying out longer things. And yeah, so that's kind of how it all began. That is so awesome. I, I First of all, I love the progression of just like going from uh, the 30K, like all the way up to like the, the 52K without even doing a marathon and just being like, you know, it just jumping right over the 26.2 and just going all in on uh, 34, 30, whatever the, the translation is there. I think it's so cool because I think it's easy to look at it in like a linear way of like, okay, I do 5K and then 10K, but you just wanted to kind of go big and just go after it, which is awesome. I think it's also so interesting too that you kept pursuing this thing even despite having like an 80 hour work week like that is like i don't think people like can contextualize 80 hours of like working a week is a lot like it like and i've done it before in the past for like a couple weeks here and there and it's so much and it feels like you don't have like time for anything but you kind of still went through it like and so what kind of drove you to keep going back to even if it was just one run a week to like keep sticking with it? Because I, I know a lot of people listen to this podcast, they might have like a full time job and a family and like balancing it all. And so like what kept you to, you know, keep conscious on the path, like as you were managing such a busy schedule? Um, For me, it was just like the pure joy of running. Like I love running. It's really fun for me. And that is how I unwind. So like with long work hours and a lot of stress at work, how I would process that stress was just getting out there on the trail and running. And, you know, if I had like a difficult patient case, sometimes it would take me to the top of the mountain to process through it in my head. And that just gave me the time, like time alone to think through things and to just de-stress and you know, it was my, my favorite thing that I got to do in my recreational in my free time. That's awesome. I, and I love it. You, the reason why is because like you enjoyed it. Cause I think it can be like, it can seem like another like 
checklist on the box if you look at it like oh i have to train or like it's more like i have to do as opposed to like oh i want to go out and do this and you know use it to you know really take care of my mental health or process some things or just lean into something i enjoy i think that like frame on it is so important i think it speaks to how you were able to continue to get it in despite all like the crazy hours and everything now i know like now today like you're super competitive out there like you're you're not you're not shy about saying hey i want to i want to get a ticket i want to be at the top and want to do my best which i i love that attitude i think it's so great um have you always kind of like been that way in the sport or like if not like did it was there kind of like a moment where that kind of shifted where you started to take it more serious like tell us a little bit more about like that mindset and how that came to be yeah well um going back to the first ultra that i ran in june of 2016 um You know, I kind of approached that one the same way that I approached the 30K of being very intimidated by the distance. I hadn't run, you know, anything over 20 miles when I started that whatever 32, 33 mile race. And um, it was just like, okay, the goal is to finish. You know, I took my time. I was like digging around in my drop bag every loop. It's like a four loop course. Um, I was standing around at aid stations eating like I was taking my time. Um, I was in the bathroom like I didn't (laughs) realize quite yet that there are certain foods you might want to avoid the night before race. And I would say I spent like 15 minutes in the bathroom total, you know, over a couple of different visits there to the porta pot. Uh, So yeah, I was just taking my time. And I ended up finishing fourth. And I was like, huh, you know, maybe, maybe I could be good at this. Like I had never really considered myself an athletic person. Um, I wasn't really good at sports growing up. I tried a few different things and I really liked swimming, uh, as a teenager, but I wouldn't say I was really good at it. Um, and every other sport I tried, I hated. So, um, finding, ultra running was like, oh, maybe this is my niche, you know, maybe this is something that I don't suck at. And I wonder if, you know, I actually tried, if I actually trained, um, I wonder what I could do. Um, So like I said, in that first year of residency, I didn't really have the time to train the way that I wanted to. But at the beginning of my second year residency, my work hours were a little bit less. Um, I had a little more free time on my hands. And that's when I hired my coach, Megan Roach, um, to start working with me. And that's when I really started to see like big gains in my running was when I started working with her and really just like training very consistently. I would say that that like August of 20 or September of 2017 is when my really consistent training started. Mm, That's Um, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously Megan and David, both, both the Roches are just like incredibly talented. So it's super cool to see you working with them. But one thing I want to highlight there before I kind of like dive into the training thing is like, it's first of all, like, it is so awesome to hear that you, like you said, you had like no really athletic background. Cause even in the beginning you said no cross country background. And I think like on first glance, like 
you know, in the subconscious, it was like, oh, like maybe she played like soccer or like field hockey or like some kind of sports in high school. But that's so like nothing at like or even if you did, it wasn't just like, you know, high performing. It was that is so awesome to see because like where you are now, I mean, like you're a high performing ultra runner, like, you know, one of the best in the AZ area for sure. So it's so cool to see that progress along the way. Because traditionally, like, you know, we'll have guests on this podcast and they're like, oh, I have a cross country background or I've been running since I was like, I don't know, like eight, like Killian or whatever. Right. Like some some crazy stuff like that. But that's so awesome to hear that that you started like without an athletic background and now you've built yourself to be to be where you are. That's super inspiring. Yeah. And I think it goes to show just like how much potential people have, like if anyone out there listening is like, oh, they don't have that background. Like that doesn't mean that you're limited. Actually, that means that, you know, as my coaches told me before, like you don't have the aerobic, you didn't start with the aerobic base that a lot of athletes have. So that just gives us that much more room for improvement. I actually was talking to her a couple of years ago about this regarding Black Canyon, actually, which you and I are both running soon. Um, because I was kind of discouraged about like the time that I ran it in. And while it was a big PR for me, I was still just like, oh, I still need to chop like another two hours if I'm, if I want to look at a golden ticket. And she said, you can do it. And I was like, seriously, you think I can chop two more hours off of Black Canyon? She's like, yeah, you know, you didn't come in with the aerobic base that a lot of athletes did. And I really think that we have a lot more room to get faster. And I, and I think she's right. Wow. That's, that's, that's so cool because I got like chills when you were saying that. Cause it's, it's like the, the improvement and like seeing how much you can grow is motivating in and itself, right. To be like, Oh, like, I have so much more to grow. And like, I think when you're making progress or like you hit a PR, or like you see that growth, there's almost like that fulfilling kind of uh, feeling that you get like through that process. So it kind of keeps you to, you know, on the path and be like, I have so much more running to go and so much more work to put in, which is like exciting, which it can be daunting for some people. But I think when you look at it as an opportunity to grow, as opposed to like something that limits you to your point, that's, that's that key that unlocks that belief. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so important to to believe in yourself, you know, uh, and I've definitely gone through. I think it's something that we all kind of go through with like it waxes and wanes in terms of how much self-belief we have in any given moment. But, um, you know, for example, for me last year, uh, placing fifth at Bandera was just like wow, like that really gave me like a lot of self-belief and it really increased my confidence going into Black Canyon because, you know, did I really think going into Bandera that I could get a golden ticket? Like, if I'm honest with myself, I probably didn't really believe that I was going to be able to do it. Mm. But then after getting that result, I was like, wow, I think I can do this. Um, and having that boost of confidence, I feel like that really helped me a lot going into Black Canyon last year. 
Oh, that's so good. That is so good. It's like using like, and it's all real, right? It's not like a, like a BS, like mantra, or like something that you just tell yourself. You're like, this is like an actual result that like I went out and did. And so like your brain can't even like shut that down. It's like that, that actually happened, which is super cool. Interesting point though, about how you mentioned like, um, you know, you were like, oh, I didn't fully believe I can get that like golden ticket beforehand. But like, was that still like a goal? And like, was it like subconsciously it was like, Oh man, it's kind of like a big thing. Cause, and the reason why I ask is cause I feel the same way with like Havelina for me. Like, you know, I was like saying, I want to go for the golden ticket, but in the back of my head, it was like, man, like that's a, that's a big thing. So like, what was your kind of like mindset going there? And then I guess, how is it different now having that result and having those things and, 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 uh, the way that you approach it going forward? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, going into any competitive race, uh, it can be, uh, intimidating to some, to some degree to look at the entrant list. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what happened, uh, you know, with Bandera, I'm just like looking at the entrant list and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, like really, I don't, I, this is what I'm going for. And I put it out there. Cause I think that's important to put it out there that that's what you want and that's your goal. Um, but <laughs> there was definitely an extent to which after looking at the entrant list, I, I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know that I can really do this. Um, and black Canyon, I think was even more stacked than Bandera last year. Um, I feel like a lot of, a lot of times people that don't make it at Bandera roll into black Canyon. And then the same thing happens with canyons, of course. Uh, so, but I don't know just having that that extra like confidence from seeing how well I did in such a competitive field at Bandera uh, really helped going into Black Canyon and um, I think also just like you know Black Canyon being so competitive but the other important thing to remember is you never know like what kind of a day people are going to have out there. Mm. Well, for the first thing, you never know who on the entrant list is not going to show up for whatever reason, like it didn't work out for them to run the race. And then you never know what's going to happen out there on the course. Um, who's going to have a good day. Like maybe you have a great day and maybe someone else who on paper is technically faster than you, maybe they don't have a great day. So it's just, you can't really predict what's going to happen out on the course on race day. That's such a good point because like all the time you see, and even like speaking from personal experience as well, like at Javelina, like there are guys who are like objectively way fitter than me, like way better runners, but they DNF or dropped because like they got too hot or anything like that. And I didn't even think about those things. Like, Oh wait, like, you know, not everyone's going to finish the race. And it'd be so easy when you go on like ultra sign up and you see, like 98% ranking, like 30 results and just like one, 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 one on like overall. And you're like, oh man, like this is not good. But to your point, like you, anything can happen on race day, especially in like the ultras where there's just so much um, margin for things to go wrong and problems to come up. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's, it's so much more of an equalizer than like even a shorter race too. So it's like super cool oh, to like have that perspective. Take, taking a step back a little bit to like when you started working with Megan um, and I still love to dive into like your chase for the ticket and everything like that. But you you mentioned that working with Megan has been like a game changer for you and really, you know, helping you to get more consistent with your training and kind of leveling up. 
And I know you mentioned like the belief factor was huge part of it as well. But what are some things that like maybe you worked on with Megan or maybe you implemented in your training that like really helped you to see like the gains that kind of took you to where you are today, like in terms of, you know, just being able to perform better and getting fitter? Like what were some of those things that were just super helpful for you? Yeah, um, definitely. Like you said, the consistency is a huge factor. Uh, but then I think another big factor was adding in speed work. So like before I started working with Megan, I would just go out and run easy pace on all my runs. Uh, I never really tried to run fast. I never did any sort of speed work. Uh, so that definitely that and doing strides as well um, really helped give me a boost with the speed. Um, and then I would say another factor is definitely nutrition. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues with body image in our sport, um, and in society in general, but if I'm honest with myself, thinking about when I went first got into long distance running, uh, I would have to say there was some extent to which I did want to change and manipulate my body. You know, I wanted to see myself looking like other women that I saw on the start line. Um, and a lot of that did involve like food, some food restriction um, or at least fear of eating too much or eating certain kinds of foods uh, but Megan and David are so great about just being proponents of making sure that you're eating enough and fueling the work that you're putting in. And I think that I saw my perspective around food and nutrition really shift a lot as I realized that um, going into runs and races under fueled just like is really takes you know, causes a negative impact on mm. performance. And um, I realized that to me, running was more important than the way that my body looked. And so who cares what my body looks like? Like, I care about what my body can do. And I'm proud of what my body can do. And whatever that results in, like my body looking like, I'm just like, I'm going to give myself the fuel that I need to perform at my best. And that's what's most important to me now. Um, so I think seeing that shift happen and really starting to fuel my runs better, um, making sure I'm taking in enough nutrition, not just after the run, but also during the run and before the run, not doing fasted runs um, has had a really big impact on performance for me. Yeah. And, and first of all, I appreciate your, your vulnerability and being open about like that too. Cause that, that is, I think a common issue that isn't talked about too much. And I will also be one to say as well, like I face these things too, and I still battle these things each day. Right. Cause I'm, I'm not like the skinniest guy. And so like, when you go up against like some other people and you see that they're skinny, like you start to think like, oh man, is that why like, I'm not like fast enough? Like you start like making these like crazy like things too. And so, uh, but it can mess with your head. Cause then you don't eat like right enough. And I love that downward spiral that you kind of like painted where it's like, when you get that way, you under eat, when you under eat, you 
underperform and when you underperform it's mm-hmm. kind of like this just like cycle of you know both mentally and physically that you kind of go through and i love that quote that you mentioned where you said like i don't i don't care what my body looks like i care what it can do like that's so powerful like yeah, again i get like chills like just saying that it's just so powerful because i think that's like the thing that we should focus on for sure and uh super cool to hear that um you know you were able to really shift that mindset because that's like a big thing not just for from a running perspective but just a you know an over overall just like mental perspective and and how we see ourselves and everything was just super cool. And I know on the nutrition piece, like, so you are also plant-based too, which is super cool. You're the, the meals that you post are like so delicious. I'm like, dang, like I, I I wish I could like cook with her. Like this looks amazing and I'm not even plant-based. Like, so that's like incredible, (laughs) but what like got you into that shift. So we haven't talked too much about plant-based diets, like as much on this podcast. So curious to hear like what got you into it and maybe like some of the benefits on it, or just tell us all the things like about like how that's kind of impacted, uh, how you are and perform as a runner. Yeah. Um, well, I I guess I kind of got into eating vegetarian, vegan initially when I was around 16 years old. Um, and you know, my personality is to go at everything like 110%. So that kind of evolved into uh, getting into like a raw vegan diet when I was around 17. I spent a year Whoa. and a half eating 100% like raw, uncooked vegan food, like fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, but like nothing cooked. Um, And I lived in Ohio at the time too. So it was like cold in the winter and I'm sitting there eating my salad, you know? (laughs) Uh, But I would definitely would not recommend that approach. Um, It's very easy to become energy deficient, um, especially for endurance athletes when you're eating all raw. And then I would say also that it contributed to like more disordered eating for me because I was denying myself like so many things that, you know, I would just be like having food cravings, but not letting myself eat what I actually wanted to eat. And so then I'd be like, well, I'm just going to eat this whole jar of almond butter instead. And then like, you know, feel so sick afterward, (laughs) but, uh, Yeah. So I did that for a year and a half and then, and then eventually like realized that that wasn't the best idea. Um, and beyond that, I would say like going into college, um, everything just kind of fell by the wayside in terms of what I was eating in my diet, uh, other than the fact, so I, I have celiac disease, so I I have gluten-free and I did, I have always stuck to that, but during college, you know, There was definitely a lot of ice cream and chips and junk food. And I actually put on a lot of weight uh, when I was in college. Uh, And then I would say probably more during like med school and residency, I got back into eating a healthier diet. Um, And I had a friend um, up in Flagstaff who was really influential for me, not just with like getting back into being plant-based, but also with like making sure that I was really fueling myself well enough and adequately with a plant-based diet. Um, so Jenny, Jenny Gormley, I don't know if you know her, but she lives up in Flagstaff and she's super awesome, but, uh, she really inspired me to, um, 
get back into being like fully plant-based and also like really feeling my body well and like not skimping on, <laughs> on food. Um, I think for a lot of people, I think there are some common pitfalls with plant-based diets, especially for endurance athletes. So one of the things is that, um, a lot of plant-based based foods tend to be higher in fiber and lower in calories. So it can be difficult if you're being really strict about only eating whole unprocessed foods. It can be really difficult to get enough calories because the fiber just fills you up so quickly mm. that maybe you're not eating enough. Um, and then all that fiber can also obviously have an impact on, um, the bowels on race day as well. <laughs> the porta potty <laughs> becomes a popular place. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, like if you're going to be on a plant-based diet as an athlete, you need to have some flexibility in not necessarily always being super regimented and strict about, Oh, I have to just only eat whole unprocessed food. Mm. Um, I've definitely introduced more like sports nutrition products, gels, stuff like that into my training and racing. And then also, you know, when I'm in a big training block, more, uh, more, a little more processed food that may not be quote unquote viewed as like as healthy as some of the other things that I typically eat. But Sometimes you got to do that to get enough calories. You got to scale back on the fiber. You got to work on increasing um, calories. And um, so I think those are some easy things or those are some areas where people can um, kind of get hung up with um, the plant-based diet in terms of not feeling themselves adequately. Um, so those are all like lessons that I've kind of learned as I've gone along. <laughs> That's awesome. And you totally read my mind because my next question was going to be like a lot of the conventional thing is like, oh, you know, you can't be an endurance athlete because you don't get enough calories and things like that. And you like completely read my mind and just had it out there, which is just so cool. And I love the the balance approach that you take, right? It's not always like super black and white where it's like all I have to eat is, you know, whole food and all that stuff. Like you're able to be a little flexible without like totally like you know, selling the farm and, and basically going against like the plant-based diet, but saying, Hey, like today I'm going to have a little bit, maybe more processed foods and just get a little bit more calories in me. And then also too, it has like that enjoyment piece, like to, to your point, like being restrictive, I think has that ability to make us do things that, you know, or make us feel a certain way that's going to lead to even worse decisions. And then it's like, again, that spiral. So it, it, I'm really glad that you pointed that out. Cause I think that's uh, something that people, not just with plant-based, but diets in general can really be like the dark side of it more or less. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely restricting certain, certain like foods and making things be like off limits can lead to, um, you know, more disordered eating in terms of, and I've fallen into this before where I'm like, oh no, I cannot have any processed sugar. I can't have this or that. And then of course, all you want to do is eat that thing um, mm -hmm. that's off limits. And I've fallen into that before where I'm like binge eating, you know, cookies or something after not allowing myself to have any for such a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think a more balanced approach um, can really help to uh, to tamper that and like 
now, you know, if I'm, when I'm allowing myself to have cookies, if I want cookies, like how often do I really want cookies? You know, like, I'm not going to sit down and eat a dozen cookies all at once because I don't want to, you know, but when you're, when you get into that restrictive, um, mindset, I think it's like a pendulum, you know, like when it swings this way, it has to swing back this way. Mm. Um, so it's best if it just stays in the middle. That's so good. And even just like thinking of like my own, because I used to do like very restrictive stuff. I, I, to your point, like I would say, yep, I'm not doing this, 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 but like every now I'd have like a cheat day and it would just be like, just, you know, total just massacre on like the inside of my cabinets of like every processed food out there. And it's like, okay, that was just not, not the way to go in there. And at the end of the day, like that ends up being like way worse because you get that kind of yo-yo pendulum effect, which Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's such like a good point too. And it's like having it in moderation, like doesn't allow you to, to just completely just go all in and everything like that. And so I think, I think it's super important that you're sharing this too, because it, it can be, again, something that's not brought up as much or as comfortable to bring up. And that's why I appreciate you bringing this up and being vulnerable about it. Cause I know there's tons of people out there struggling. I know I struggled with this for like years and kind of like be like, Oh, like, you know, that doesn't apply to me. And then like, you really be honest with yourself and you're like, all right, well, like it is there. And uh, yeah, so I appreciate you sharing all this because it's going to be like super helpful for someone listening who is probably dealing with the same kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think it's important to just like put it out there. It's so common in our sport for, yeah. for people to have disordered eating. And um, I think it's important to like talk about it because I don't, I don't think anyone needs to feel ashamed about it. And I think a lot of people feel isolated because of it. They feel like they're the only one that's affected mm-hmm. by it. So I think by talking about it, um, we can have like more community around it and just be like, okay, Um, This is something a lot of people struggle with. And it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean, you know, this is just something that a lot of people deal with. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Oh, and I love that, that you threw that in there of like, doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't mean you're flawed. Cause I think that's, that's the fear, at least for like me, like when I talk about it, it's like, Oh, like I'm not strong enough to have this thing. And you start like making these labels and like, that's why I think it's so easy for us to, to not let it out. And so, um, but here, like, even like for me, I've never said this on a podcast. This is all the first time I've ever set out but the reason why I have is because you were here talking about it, being vulnerable about it, being open about it. And uh, it makes me feel like comfortable as well. So I'm hoping that this helps with like listeners as well. Cause it's like, it's just so awesome to see that community around there. Now I know like the, the next question here that probably your listeners have too is like, okay, like you have like the, you know, eating in your lifestyle. What about like your, your race strategy for like nutrition? Now I know you meant like you did an awesome post uh, highlighting your nutrition during Javelina. You said it was like mm-hmm. one of the best that you you've had on there. I even saw Nathaniel Chan and Phoenix like tag you in a post and he was like giving you props for like nutrition strategy as well. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that and how you kind of fine tuned it to like really just be super well for you and maybe some tips for other people who are looking to dial that in. Cause as you know, that's like a huge, huge part of, I think, nailing an ultra, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for a while, kind of going back to the idea of wanting to be more whole foods based, um, I experimented with trying to eat like more whole foods, food, food, like making some of my own mixes and purees and stuff. Um, and I, none of those really worked out that well. 
Um, I think one of the things I've learned about myself is when I am running um, at intensity, I am not going to chew anything. And so if I only have things that I have to chew, I'm just not going to eat. Um, so that's where for me, liquid nutrition has come in like super helpful. And I just first experimented with it at Havelina hundred K, uh, in 2021. Um, so they had goo roctane drink mix at the aid stations and I had never tried it before. And I went against all the rules and, you know, they say never to try anything new on race day. And I decided to try something new on race day because none of my food, none of my gels or anything was seeming appealing. Even for me, like after about 20 miles or so, even gels, I'm just not interested anymore, especially if it's hot out. Yeah. So, um, I was like, oh, this is like a cold beverage and it tastes good and it has calories. And I had no idea like how much calories it had, but all I knew was the fact that all I was having for nutrition was this goo roctane drink for, you know, beyond mile 20 for the rest of the hundred K and I wasn't hungry. I wasn't bonking. I had great energy levels and I was like, man, this stuff is great. And I looked it up afterward to see like, oh, how many calories did it have? And I think I forget what my total came out to, but I I think I want to say I drank like a few thousand calories worth of goo roctane during that race. Oh my gosh. Uh, And then I decided to buy some, of course, and really implemented that into my race strategy. Uh, And that's worked super well um, for really for every race I've done since then, I've used a mostly liquid nutrition plan um, along with some gels and chews like toward the beginning of the race for as long as I can tolerate them, which, you know, is not very long if it's hot out. Um, But I was going into Havelina 100 this year. That was the first time I had tried my strategy on a 100 miler. Uh, I had only tried it. The longest distance I had tried it on was 100K. And um, it worked really well. So, um, of course, Havelina is a faster 100 miler, um, but the liquid nutrition worked really well. I was getting kind of hungry toward the end for some actual food, but by that point, I had like three miles to go. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get a pizza in three miles. This is great. (laughs) Right, exactly. No no way to derail it in those last three miles. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's awesome. That I I love that approach too of like it kind of just happened in the middle of a race too. Like even though like nothing was working, and you're like, all right, let me just uh go out and break the rules. Cause I I think it's like okay to break that rule if like nothing's working, then it's like, all right, now we need to like problem solve and just try things. And so it's super cool that you did that and it ended up being like this strategy that was out there. And I love the proponent of like liquid calories because like the chewing in intensity, especially like if you're going in like a fast hundred miler, I think people, it's easy to underestimate how much energy that actually takes, like to just sit open, like a bar, chew it, like swallow it. Then you got like there. I, I don't know. Like it's, I don't, it feels like exhausting to me. So like the liquid calories yeah. is nice and easy and you're doing less steps because you're also hydrating as well. Like I think like yeah. the logic, like from even just a logical perspective, like liquid calories just seems like the way to go. Yeah, for sure. I would say, especially with hot races. So I mean, anybody coming out to Black Canyon, um, try out some liquid nutrition options before the race, ideally. Um, 
Black Canyon does have Guroctane at um, most, if not all of the aid stations. So that will work out really well for my plan. <laughs> exactly. But that yeah, like is ideal. It takes so much energy to like run and breathe and chew at the same time. It's just too much, you know? Yeah, it's so much. I used to like do like cliff bars and like that I will never do again because like oh. they... Oh, it's just like so sticky and just like crumbly. It's just like stuck in your throat. Ah, man. I just like, oh, and your I can't. So dry. It's just like dry <laughs> as dust and you're choking trying to swallow this stuff. I know. And like, I, I like did like a solo cast episode about that. And like that advice is in there. And I like need to go back and like retract it. Cause like, I'm just like, apologies to anybody who followed this terrible advice and also has cotton mouth out there. So I'm hoping to replace it like with, with this too, like talking about like the liquid calories. Cause I, I've also been doing it as well. And it's just amazing. So I love uh, the strategy that you put out there and it's so cool. Like uh, it's a great post that you did like the write up as well. Like I love how like uh, you, you got down to a T to it and kind of talked about like the experimentation and the benefits, like super, super cool. So I had to ask in that regards. Now, kind of just switching gears a little bit. I, I, I'd i be remiss and kicking myself if I didn't ask you about this, but I want to talk about like your pursuit for like a golden ticket and like really putting yourself in like competitiveness. It's one of the things that again, like just fires me up about like talking with you because it's just so cool. Uh, before we dive into like the ticket specifics though, uh, you mentioned something earlier that you said you think like putting your goals out there is so important. Um, and sometimes you can hear or people might think like there's kind of like two camps, right? There's like be super Super loud about your goals and then there's like some people are like don't tell your goals or maybe it's like don't say the goals because like if you don't hit them then there's like this whole thing tell us your philosophy on that and why it's been like so impactful for you and your running journey because I, I love that you're doing it but like it fires me up when I see it but I'm curious to hear why uh why it does it for you yeah I think you know I used to be really scared to put my goals out there because I was afraid of failure, you know, I was afraid of putting something out there and then not being able to achieve it and like having everyone view me as like a failure in my mind that was, <laughs> I'm sure people aren't actually, wouldn't actually be viewing me as a failure for not holding ticket, but you know, um, in my mind, that's how it was. And so, I mean, I, I wanted to get to Western state. I mean, ever since I started running ultras, I've wanted to get to Western states. And, um, the first time I ran a golden ticket race was also my first hundred K at black Canyon in 2018. And I knew that I was not trying for a ticket that year. I was still in residency. I knew I had to work the weekend of Western states. So I knew I wasn't going to be running it that year. Um, but I remember my coach telling me, like, I think, you know, a few years down the road, we could be looking at golden ticket potential. And I was just like, oh, like, I really wanted that. But at the same time, I didn't want to, like, admit that I wanted it because, you know, I didn't want to, like, put it out there and then not be able to achieve it. But it was definitely in my mind, like when I ran Black Canyon in 2019, when I ran Black Canyon in 2021, um, but I didn't ever like really put it out there in, in terms of like telling people or telling, posting anything on social media. Um, and then last year I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to sign up for two golden ticket races, Bandera and Black Canyon. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to put it out there. And, 
you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I mean, I'm not going to get all depressed and mope around about it, but I think it's important to just be transparent with people. You know, this is what I'm aiming for. This is my goal. And I'm, I had, I might have to work a long time for it. You know, I think a lot of times we see stories um, of people's success on social media or, or we see a race result or something. And we just think, Oh, how is that person just like so successful? And you might not see the backstory. You might not see like how long they've been working to get there and the years that they've been putting in, you know? Um, so it might look like immediate success, but there's, there's a lot of hard work behind those, you know, all those results. And you never know when your breakthrough is going to be. Uh, but I think it's important for people to know like how long you've been working for this and this is your process. And I think it can be encouraging for others who might be wanting to aim high as well, just to be able to say like, look, she tried for years and then she finally got it. But it takes years of hard work to get what you want in the part. Yeah, I oh my so much I love about that answer. I I think the first thing when you mentioned that, you know, you you said like deep down you wanted to get the golden ticket, but like you didn't want to say it or like let even Megan know or like you were it was just kind of like in there and that's like so it, it's it's I think it's very indicative of like a lot of people's like goals and dreams and desires. Like we all want to do like big things, but maybe we were like not vocalizing it or saying it out loud. Cause like, to your point, we think like other people are going to think uh, certain things of us if we don't uh, go out and actually accomplish it. And we almost like sell ourselves short by like not being honest to your point about what we really want. And then the second point where you said it's so inspiring. Like it is like, I, I get inspired, like seeing your journey being like, Oh, like she's going big for it. Like she's putting the training out. Like that inspires like me to also be more comfortable about like, you know, saying, okay, like I, I want to go for this too. Like, and it's, um, I think it encourages like authenticity and it also inspires people to like go for their big own goals. So it like, doesn't only benefit you, it benefits like the people, you know, around you and following along. And to your point, it makes just for an epic story once they see you actually get it, which I, I know is in your cards for the future, like no doubt, which is going to be awesome. And so taking, taking into like the golden ticket things, like what are, are there anything that you're doing like differently to really hone in on that like skill or maybe to just like continue to level up. I know you mentioned like the coach is a big thing, like kind of in the early years of running, but like now, you know, being in the sport for so long. And I mean, you, you've been in like some of the most competitive races, like multiple times, right? Black Canyon, Bandera, Javelina hundred. Uh, these are like some, some pretty stacked races every year. So with all this experience, um, what maybe some things you're doing, like heading into this year, right. With black Canyon in a few weeks, which is crazy. Uh, and then Canyon's a hundred K. Um, what are some things that you're thinking about going into those races and trying to get the ticket this year? Um, so this year, as you know, I've just kind of come back from an injury that happened. I don't know if it happened during or after um javelina but i had i strained my right iliacus muscle um i was completely off running for two weeks and then the build back has been slower than i anticipated it being to the point that you know i thought initially that i might have to drop down to the 60k 
but over the past few weeks, training's actually been going really well. I've been able to ramp up my mileage. Um, so I'm really hopeful <laughs> about how things are going. Um, I, I think there's going to be no problem with running the 100K. I think the question kind of in my mind is like, okay, like uh, last year I had a fantastic training block after Havelina 100K. Um, and I did a lot of really great runs and I ran Bandera 100K, which was, of course, a huge training stimulus. Um, so I think the question is like, okay, can I still improve upon what I did last year? And I think that I can. Um, I think that I can. So I'm excited about that. Um, but, you know, it's also like a little nerve wracking at the same time to just be like, okay, this build back has been kind of slower than I wanted it to be. Um, but I think one of the important things of going into any race and especially golden ticket races is to think about like running your own race and, um, it can be easy to get caught up in like, what are, okay, what are the other pros out there doing? Like what pace are they running? Like, should I try and keep up with all them from the start? And like, you can end up getting sucked up into running somebody else's race, which is not ideal. <laughs> so I think one of the goals for, for me, and I've, I've learned that lesson the hard way, um, is that I perform better when I run my own race and do my own thing instead of worrying about everybody else that's out there. Um, so that's kind of what I'm planning to do going into Black Canyon and we'll see where that lands me. That's what I did last year. I just focused on my own race and it landed me five minutes shy of a golden ticket. So that's pretty darn close. Five minutes. Like that is and 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 think about like too. Let, let's take it in context of the of the interview because in the in the beginning you mentioned when you first did Black Canyon it was like two hours that you said you needed to shave off to get that golden ticket, and then years yeah. from now it's five minutes. I mean, like that is that is impressive. Yeah, yeah. Actually, well, the first year I ran Black Canyon, huh, more than more than two hours to shave. <laughs> I think my first Black Canyon time was twelve thirty something. Mm. Um, and since then I've chopped almost three hours from my time on the course last year, I ran 949. Um, so, but yeah, that when I, when I had talked about kind of needing to chop two more hours, that was back in 2021. And then when I went back and I chopped another whole hour last year from 2021 to 2022, and that just was also really confidence boosting to be like, oh, okay, I chopped another hour in one year. Like, what can I do next year? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just getting closer and closer. Yeah, and it seems like the gaps are like in, in a matter of hours. So, like, you translate that into this year. I mean, like, you're you're in there. Like, that is uh, you're right there, which is awesome. And like I said, I, I have no doubt. Like, you'll you'll get it, whether it's at Black Canyon or Can Canyons. I think you have like such an awesome mindset like heading into these things like because i think anyone can be fit but i think it takes uh, a different kind of mindset to really lock in on like these kind of competitive races and to just have that uh drive to get better to improve which sounds like you know you have that like you're hungry to learn and you're always looking to do and even like you said you said hey even even though like I dealt with this injury and maybe the block wasn't there i still think i can improve and i think that self-belief is 
something that is so powerful. And so like, not, not just because you're a talented runner, but also because you have that self-belief, no doubt that, uh, you'll, you'll be at state soon and, and hoping maybe, maybe you and I can get there together maybe, but if, if not, and you got it and I didn't, I, I would still be, I would still be pumped. Like that would be great. Um, and by the way, anyone listening to the reason why I'm doing black Canyon is because of Brianna, like she did actually like bully me into it. No, I'm kidding. She didn't bully me, but <laughs> But she uh, made some very convincing points, which uh, one of them I and I would love to ask is like one of the last questions here, because um, you, you brought this up to me and I thought it was so interesting. You, you mentioned it again when you were talking about Bandera. Um, you told me because I was saying, oh, I don't know if I'll be recovered in time and blah, blah, blah. You said, no, like the the adaptations your body is making right now after Halloween 100 is just so massive. And like you're going to like once you bounce back, you're going to be like stronger than ever. And I did like and and I'm. When when I'm texting you, I'm like decrepit, like my legs are hurting. I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to be doing this thing in February. And to to alas, you're right. And then you mentioned that same thing with Bandera. And in my head, I'm thinking like, that's a quick turnaround. So tell us tell us a little bit more about that philosophy and how you've kind of seen that because uh, I think it can help people like map out like how to really capitalize on those gains, like when it comes to like racing in an ultra. Yeah, well. It's kind of funny because it was like the day after Havelina that I was texting you and telling you. Oh, I know. (laughs) So, you know, like, no wonder. I mean, my mind always wants to start running way before my body is ready. (laughs) Um, But I think one of the important things with recovering from these things is you got to wait till your body's ready because my mind is going to be ready the next day, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I just love running so much that it's my mind is always going to want to run. <laughs> so, uh, but you got to wait till the body's ready. And I think with, uh, so with Bandera and black Canyon last year, they were five weeks apart. Um, and the really important factor for me was really letting myself recover fully from Bandera. Mm. Um, I took, I want to say like, almost a week off before I started eating back into some, you know, smaller, shorter runs. Uh, I I knew that like Bandera was going to give me such a massive stimulus that really I just needed to recover and maintain. That was it. Um, So the important thing was making sure that I was recovered going into Black Canyon. I knew I wasn't going to like lose the fitness that fast. So really I had, uh, by the time I recovered, then of course you got to do your taper right before <laughs> black Canyon. I think I had one training week in between those two races, oh, wow. one, like one week that was around 80 ish miles. Um, but the other weeks were pretty low mileage with the recovering. And then after that 80 mile week that I was, it was time to taper. Um, but it worked out you know, really well. I was, I was surprised like how well I was able to perform at Black Canyon after having just done a hundred K five weeks before. Um, I had never tried to do races or hundred K races that close together before. Yeah. And I think it's such an interesting point that you mentioned you let yourself like recover. Cause like five weeks, like that window, anyone can see that, including myself. And I say, wow, like I need to like start building or like training like the week after but to your point like that bounce back the recovery is way more important than adding fitness at that point because number one 
it's really hard to add that fitness and it's hard to lose the fitness too. conversely, like you mentioned. And if you don't let yourself like recover and bounce back from it, then you could like dig yourself in kind of like this deeper hole. So that's so interesting too. Cause a lot of times uh, I know when I think about like ultras and race, I'm like, Oh, like, you know, doing black Canyon, I got to like wait time. I mean, like obviously from our conversation, I thought I had to wait like, I don't know, four months before I like threw my hat in the ring. And then here I am signing up for a race I'm about to do in like three weeks. So, uh, yeah, hey, we got four weeks still. Don't, don't, don't shorten my training block. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Four weeks, four weeks. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I'm excited to race at the black cane and I'm glad you convinced me into it. And who knows, maybe you convinced someone else listening to this podcast. I think there's like a few spots left. So, Maybe, yeah. maybe there's some black. Hand- <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you got more people signed on board. Um, well, Brianna, this is, this was so awesome. This is such a great conversation. Like I, I'm just really, really proud of you and like all the progress you made. And it's super Thanks. inspiring to have this conversation from everything we touch base on from you know, talking about dealing with disordered eating, talking about, uh, you know, making progress, even from like a base of, of, you know, not having an athletic background and going for your goals and talking. I mean, the whole nine yards, this episode was amazing. And so for anyone listening who wants to follow along on social media, see what you're doing with the Aravipa racing team. I know, uh, you you just got announced again for the uh, 2023 season, which congrats again. Um, but tell us uh, a little bit more where our listeners can find you and follow along on the journey to your golden ticket and your racing adventures, (laughs) uh, on social media. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, um, at Dr. Bree underscore running MD. Um, and then Facebook is just my name, Brianna Grigsby. Um, so, I mean, if you follow me on, if you're on Instagram, just follow me on Instagram because it's really the same posts that go to Facebook, you know, the automatic setup that they have. Yeah. And Instagram's like way, I feel like just way cooler nowadays. I don't know. Facebook sure. is like kind of in the, it's phased out now. I it's don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just died. It's just kind of out there. Um, but anyways, Brianna, yeah, I will put the uh, links to her Instagram in the uh, in the bio here. So you go and check it out and definitely follow along the journey. Like I said, it's been so inspiring to like follow along on Brianna's journey and just, uh, you know, just seeing how super passionate she is about being better, going for her goals and just, uh, you know, really going all in on our pursuit of running. So uh, as you can tell from this episode here and, and Brianna, for my last question here that I ask every guest on the Everyday Ultra podcast, what can our listeners do every single day to be a better endurance athlete? I would say, oh, I only have to pick one thing. could be a few uh, things. I'll give you a few things just because you talked me into Black Canyon. How about that? Okay. <laughs> um, I would say training consistently, even if you don't have like a lot of time to put into it, like something is better than nothing. So if you only got time to run two miles, run two miles, like that's better than doing nothing. So consistency. And I would say making sure that you're eating enough, making sure you're, you're fueling your body. Um, you gotta, gotta put gas in the tank. Oh, I love that analogy. Yeah. You gotta put gas in the tank. It's not always about just, uh, like really, you know, losing the weight, like, that's not what it's about. It's about performing to the high ability to, and to bring back your awesome quote before, like, it's not about what your body looks like. It's how, what your body can do. I thought that was so, so right. powerful. And the consistency part, I mean, can't beat that. And obviously you live by that seeing that you were able to even just get one run a week sometimes in the 80 mile in an 80 hour work week, 80 mile week. See, as you can see, my brain's always on running, <laughs> but 80 hour work week, you're, you're still getting in the training in and that's, uh, 
That's awesome. So you not only talk it, you walk it. And uh, we're excited to see you walk all the way to Western States sometime in the future for sure, Brianna. So you make that journey as well. Well, we got to go together. If if you're getting a ticket, I got to come with you. So that's we're a package deal now. So (laughs) yeah, there we go. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Brianna. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a pleasure. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So if you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And I'd be more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately give the value that you're looking for. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, Would love to get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember, my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.